Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have something you'd like our team to pray for in you or your family's life, we encourage you to let us know by visiting thevillagechapel.com prayer. Our team would love the opportunity to bring your requests to the Lord. We're glad you joined us this week as we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's Pastor Jim. It was Passover week in Jerusalem. The roads were crowded. People everywhere come for the Passover feast. It was also the year that Jesus would lay down his life on a cross. And so on this particular day, he has traveled back in probably from Bethany, just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem there, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus all lived. And Jesus and his disciples likely staying there with them, travels in. He's teaching and preaching in the temple precincts. Not only is he being followed by a, a lot of people, hundreds of people pressing in on him, wanting to hear him teach because he was astonishing as a teacher, but he's also being stalked by the religious leadership of the day. They're looking for some way to discredit Jesus. Uh, they want to catch him saying something that enables them to uh, justify arresting him and, and dragging him before the Romans and, and in some way doing away with this nuisance of a person uh, named Jesus. Well, look at what happens here. He began to speak to them in parables. Who's the them there? The them is the entire crowd. I mean, it's an open-air preachment. And so whoever's standing there, including friends and foes. And here's what Jesus says. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. This is a, evidently a landowner. And he literally sets these uh, tenant farmers up with everything they need. I mean, he not only does he have the land, but he planted the vineyard. He put a wall around it to protect it. He dug a vat under the wine press. He built a tower so that they could watch for anybody that might be coming that would you know, try to steal or, or, or rob from them. And then he rents it out to these vine growers and goes on a journey. And typically this was done based on some kind of a, a rental agreement, some kind of a contract, usually involved some bit of the fruits or the produce going to the landowner. And that's exactly what we read about here. Very common story here. But what happens here is not very common. Watch what happens. At the harvest time, this landowner sent a servant to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, the landowner sent them another servant. They wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And so he sent another. And that one they killed. And so with many others, beating some and killing others. You can see this whole thing is just escalating and it's getting worse and worse and worse every time the landowner sends one of his servants to collect some of the fruit. These tenant farmers have just become uh, uh, violent and uh, quite aggressive. Well, he had, verse six says, he had one more to send, a beloved son. 
He sent him last of all to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. You see how warped they were in their thinking, how ungrateful they were, and how warped they were. I mean, to think that if you do away with the heir, somehow or another, you become the ones who inherit it is just not even rational. Well, they took him, this son of the landowner, and they killed him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. Total disrespect for the body. Um, And then Jesus, speaking to the crowds and to the religious leaders who are standing right there, and they've been stalking him uh, this whole time, asks a question after telling this story. What will the owner of the vineyard do? And when he's asking this question, of course, he's doing it rhetorically, getting the people who are listening to his story to think about what they think the landowner ought to do. And Jesus did this quite often. But on this particular occasion, he goes ahead and answers the question himself. After he poses the question, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He answers it. He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture. And now when he asks a question like that, of course, (laughs) he's asking it of the people who ought to know, who ought to have read the scripture. And he's going to quote from uh, Psalm uh, 118 here. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And this is just, you know, you got to piece all this together uh, in that particular moment. And, and remember Psalm 118, just well known as a, uh, a messianic psalm, pointing forward to, uh, to the Son of God who would be sent as the Messiah to come and would be the cornerstone, but who would be rejected um, by the builders, the, those who are hanging about the, the, the uh, self-righteous religious leaders. And so... Now, clearly, this is, you know, in a very public way, this is Jesus scolding these self-righteous religious leaders who've been stalking him. And uh, and so verse verse 12, and I'll finish reading here and make a couple comments, but for our our time together today, it says, uh, Mark just kind of summarizes what happens, the response of these religious leaders. They were seeking to seize him. And yet they feared the multitude, for they understood that he had spoken the parable against them. Make no mistake about it when I read that. I I paused for a second before the words they understood. I, I, I think it's important for us to know that in all four Gospels, it's very clear that even Jesus's enemies clearly understood uh, what he was saying and how he was exposing their wickedness and their evil hearts. They understood that he had spoken the parable against them. And then Mark goes on to say, and so they left him and they went away. And of course, that's just for now. We know 
what's going to happen with the rest of this week. That's all I want to read uh, today, though. I think it's really important. We call this the parable, typically the parable of the uh, wicked vine growers. Uh, it's also found in Matthew 21 and Luke 20. Um, and it's, a, it's what we typically would call a parable, a teaching device, ancient teaching device, uh, one that Jesus used often. What is a parable? Uh, most of you probably know it would be a literary device. It's a, a, a story that's told to make a point. When first century Jews spoke about uh, or spoke in parables, um, uh, they, they could be telling a story. They could be, it could be a, a proverb, an allegory, a riddle, a comparison of two things. It's one thing cast alongside of another. A lot of contemporary Bible teachers um, uh, will, will say that it's an earthly story that makes a heavenly point. And I think that's, that's fair in many occasions. Jesus uh, wanted to teach his listeners about the kingdom of heaven and about their life with God. But to do that, he often would use stories about everyday items like seeds or sheep or candles or coins. Um, he often would talk about everyday experiences like work uh, or responsibility. Um, he would also talk about um, common occupations like shepherds or landowners, like here, uh, judges or business owners. He often talk about he would he would often talk about um, relationships that people could understand, the need um, for forgiveness within relationships. He would talk about the kind of uh, relationships, very practical everyday relationships, like employers and employees, uh, fathers and sons. Um, uh, brothers, uh, that kind of thing. So the parables of Jesus, full of vivid imagery, easy to understand, um, but sometimes strange and thought-provoking too, prompting us to ponder, uh, and those who would be standing there to uh, ponder a little bit, uh, pushing us to interpret and demanding that we apply the message to our own lives. Um, what is the purpose of the parables of Jesus? Well, apparently, and, and as you read through the four Gospels, you see that the parables of Jesus had two effects on people, th those who heard them. Sometimes the parables revealed, and sometimes the parables concealed truths about our life with God. And the determining factor, according to Jesus, uh, appears to have been that the parables would reveal truth to those who had ears to hear or eyes to see. He would often refer to uh, or use both of those kinds of phrases. And so they would reveal to those who had ears to hear and eyes to see, and they would conceal spiritual truth from those who did not, those who were in, in essence willful unbelievers like these stalking, self-righteous religious leaders who were seeking to entrap Jesus. But put simply, um, whether or not you get it, uh, in part at least, uh, depends on the disposition of your heart and your mind as to whether you will understand what Jesus is trying to say in any given parables. Now, I, I should also say, I think sometimes we... Uh, modern people go too far interpreting, over-interpreting, I should say, these parables. We try to think of, a, a, you know, every every element of the parable has 
you know, some kind of a parallel in our own lives. And you may have some questions about the parables, and I think that's fair enough. Um, most of the parables uh, will center around themes like uh, the already but not yet kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Um, uh, a lot of the parables will be driving home the point that God loves people even though they are sinful. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. Um, I, I assume that's good news to you as well. Um, so I love the parables for that sake. Uh, some of the parables, I think, also reveal to us that um, some people respond to God with faith believing, and others respond to God with scorn uh, or indifference, like in this parable, the uh, wicked tenant farmers, uh, the wicked vineyard growers, who literally uh, not only rebuff the servants of the landowner, but they abuse them and kill them, and including the son of the landowner, who thought, oh, surely they will uh, respect my son. So when it comes to the interpretation of parables, I think it's important not to overinterpret them, don't underinterpret them either. We um, must uh, not say more than we should, but uh, we must also not say less than we should. Um, these kinds of parables, especially in an agricultural economy, would have been incredibly easy for these people to understand. I think this one reminds us, uh, if I were to take and draw, you know, just draw out a few principles from from this particular parable. I think the, the response to the landowner is the really big item. Um, but that's not the only thing. I, I think if we take a look at the landowner, if we were to think through a little bit of, of what goes on here with a landowner, uh, it's really uh, a beautiful description of, of the way God is with us, right? Okay, listen uh, carefully. Uh, it's God's property. Everything is God's property. And so this landowner, um, it could be a parallel to, to, to who God is. That is, he own, God owns it all, okay? And in that very broad sense, um, uh, the landowner here is, is much like God the Father. So everything is God's property. Um, look at God's provision in this parable, too. Um, he, the landowner set them up for a win, uh, he built the tower. He built the wall around it. He built the vat under the the wine press. Uh, he planted the vineyard. I mean, he does it all. All they really need to do is simply come in and be faithful. Hmm. Wow, that's that's profound to think about with, with the, our Lord as well. It's all God's property. It's all uh, God's provision. It's God's purposes. What what is what does this landowner want? He wants a he wants a flourishing, he wants a fruitful vineyard, right? What does the God of the Bible want? Uh, he wants, as far as what's going on in this world and the kingdom of heaven as it unfolds here, he wants a flourishing and a fruitful kingdom. I often say in the benediction at the village chapel, um, I'll, I'll say, uh, may Almighty God make you Faithful to his calling, cheerful in his service, and fruitful in his kingdom. Uh, that's, yes, that's God's desire that his kingdom would be fruitful 
and that you and I would be fruitful in his kingdom. Yeah. Um, notice too, though, the patience of the landowner. And I think that is a easy thing to draw a, a parallel to um, the God of the Bible's long suffering and patience with us. Um, it says here that he sent one and that they simply rejected and sent back home. Uh, the first, you know, they, they, they beat him and sent him back, uh, sent him home empty handed. The next one, though, they, they beat him and they, they, they wounded him on the head. So it became increasingly more severe each time. And then they killed, uh, several. And then it says here that there were many, uh, verse five says, um, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. You know, down through the history of the church, and even if you want to go into the Old Testament, the way that the prophets were rejected, rebuffed, and many of them killed and, and beaten um, as, uh, as they were rejected and their message was rejected. And we have that uh, even in our own day and time as well uh, with the persecution of Christians around the world. That's one of the reasons why we pray for the persecuted church. Every single week at the Village Chapel, we, uh, in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the world, informed by ministries like the Voice of the Martyrs.org, which I highly recommend you check out, um, we want to, to pray even for our persecutors. And God, the God of the Bible, uh, much like this landowner, quite patient as he sends many emissaries into the world with the message of the gospel, um, even though so many times um, God's servants are rejected, uh, rebuffed, and even persecuted. Um, and then that that one amazing expression of this landowner's continued giving them another chance, another chance, another chance. Surely they won't reject my son. And he sends his son. And so there we have the clarity, I think, of, of, uh, of the gospel. It's such a great parallel to God the Father in heaven sending his son uh, to this, this world of uh, people who are in rebellion against God. And um, it's the final ultimate expression of God's love is Jesus. How will you respond? How do I respond to Jesus? Let's don't be like the self-righteous, uh, religious, self-destructive tendencies that we that we see where where people like like these vine, vineyard workers, these evil, wicked vineyard workers. Um, wanting to take over, wanting to have everything on their own terms. That's just like in our own day and time, the way that we are, where our hearts lean in the direction of mutiny and autonomy. We want God, salvation, religion, life. Um, we want everything on our own terms. We want to replace God uh, as designer and ruler of our lives. Uh, and that's what that's what our sin problem really gets down to, doesn't it? Um, that we are uh, in open rebellion. We're we're mutinous. We are mute in mutiny against God, and we are lusting for autonomy. We squander the good gifts of God because we want 
him on our own terms. We just want life on our own terms, is what it boils down to. Whether we have God or not at in our darkest hours, in our darkest moments, and darkest expressions, that's what it looks like. What will we do? Uh, how about on this particular day? What will I do? What will you do as we respond to God? His kindness toward us, his generosity uh, has given us another day here. We're, he's, he's set us up with a, a, for a win today, to go out and represent him, uh, to allow the gospel to fall freely from our lips and to be seen uh, in visible ways in our life. Um, and, and, you know, and, and in some of our cases, uh, it, it may be a very difficult day, might be a great day, I don't know. But we all have the same opportunity uh, to see ourselves as ambassadors of the gospel uh, one way or the other. Emil Bruner uh, was a 19th and 20th century Swiss neo-Orthodox uh, Protestant Reformed theologian. He once said, sin is the desire for the autonomy of man. Therefore, in the last resort, it is the denial of God and self-deification. It is getting rid of the Lord God and the proclamation of self-sovereignty. That's what we see here in the parable of the wicked vine growers. And I don't want to be like them at all. I want to be, uh, and I hope you do too, want to be grateful to the Lord for yet another day to serve him in some way. Uh, Andrew Murray is another guy from around that same time, sort of, you know, end of the 19th century, rolling into the 20th century. Uh, Andrew Murray was a South African writer, teacher, Christian pastor. Um, I've read from his book, Abide in Christ. Uh, The subtitle is The Joy of Being in God's Presence. I've read from that book several times here on my daily devotional here uh, and and on Timeless Truth. So I want to close with this quote by him. A soul filled with large thoughts of the vine will be a strong branch. Yeah, so we're in the vineyard mode. We're talking about that. That's the imagery we're talking about with this parable. And um, uh, just, you know, kind of playing off of what Jesus says in John chapter 15, we are the branches. He is the vine. And Andrew Murray, so uh, so great at, at talking about the way we should be abiding in the vine. He said, a soul filled with large thoughts of the vine will be a strong branch and will abide confidently in him. Be much occupied with Jesus and believe much in him as the true vine. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Uh, If you're seeking a a, a flourishing uh, soul, a flourishing life, uh, you'll find it in him. He's the, he's the source of life. He put it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's walk in the way, Jesus. Uh, let's look to the truth, Jesus. And let's live our lives in union with Christ. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this passage. Uh, great challenge to us. Uh, I pray, Lord, for all of us. Uh, that will abide in Christ today. Uh, Drawing uh, not only uh, from you, Lord, but actually finding our life in you. Um, Yes, we need your strength. Yes, we 
need uh, wisdom, courage, hope, and joy, Lord. And all of that we know we find in you. So we turn to you, we lift up the empty hands of faith, and we pray, Lord, that you'll send us out into this world to be fruitful in your kingdom today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.